Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octa Non Verba, we hear part two of my interview with Stephen Roberts, a United States Marine Corps infantry veteran who currently works as a government contractor in global contingency theaters. In part one, Stephen joined me to discuss why stoicism is so powerful for members of the military and how we can use stoicism to overcome adversity and past trauma. We also explored why stoicism is so closely connected to the military, how modern cognitive therapy is linked to stoicism, and how you can use your own self-knowledge to move forward past your own traumas. You can hear part one on episode 51 of Octonom Verba. And now please enjoy part two of my interview with the incredible Stephen Roberts. Well, yeah, stoicism is, is not a philosophy of some grandiose dreams about what you're supposed to do or where you're going to go, right? There's no end game that everything is happy and pleasant and that sort of thing. The end game is what you're doing right now and how uh, you are living up to what you know you are supposed to live up to right now. And so, you know, I think that there are a lot of ways to do that. Of course, we talked about constantly training, constantly studying, seeking knowledge, right? Physical training as well, very important. And I know that you're very into physical training as well uh, as I am. As a warrior, I think it's important to do things and, and practice skills that you're supposed to, like martial arts, right? Training for the battle. Uh, it may not come, but it's also a way to bridge. I've always told people it's a way to bridge the gap between the physical and the spiritual. It's kind of this pendulum right between there that can really help help you balance those things out. So uh, I know that I did, did jujitsu for many years. I heard that you did Aikido for, for many years and, and maybe some other martial arts as well. So Yeah, I've done martial arts since I was 11. I'm an instructor under Bruce Lee's protege, Guru Dan and Santo and Jeet Kune Do. And I've studied jujitsu for a while. And again, all those martial ideas, martial means warlike. And so there's something that comes from knowing that you can run two miles or that you can do so many push-ups or pull-ups or do a ruck with heavy weight on your back. It gives you a self-confidence, not an ego, not hubris, but it gives you this ability to not look like a victim, be able to be resolute in what you believe in because you've already been resolute in these physical actions, which again is that practice, which again is the ability to reinforce that knowledge. And there are some people that, again, when we talk about philosophies and belief systems and perspectives or even religions, Sometimes people get caught up in this idea of, well, military, martial arts, even stoicism. Some people see stoicism as a, a warlike art or a warlike perspective. But as you pointed out earlier, just because I'm not prepared for it doesn't mean that there's not going to be violence. Does just because I am a moral person does not mean that there are not going to be immoral people that will try to come if we're not ready for it. When I read thick face black heart or Machiavellian stuff like The Prince or even The War of Art, uh, The Art of War, sorry. Well, both of those, obviously, mm-hmm. Stephen Pristold as well. Yeah. I'm not doing it because I want to do a person in, but I'm doing it so that I don't get like caught or victimized by a person who will use those kind of tactics against me. 
And that gives you that edification to be resolute mentally. And then that obviously projects into the physical realm as well, which gives us, again, even more ability to defend ourselves and others. Right. Well, there is there is the danger in living in this fear of future events, right, that, right. that captivate us, that we have to be so prepared that we're walking down the street with our ARs and our, yeah, our, our blacks and our yeah. helmets on. That's yep. right. So there's there's a danger in in that sort of living in fear and uh, becoming the thing that people actually need to be <laughs> that inspires fear. But there's also wisdom. Right. And right. wisdom means being prepared. All you have to do is read history yes. to understand that it is it is essential for certain people to be able to step up, even if it's just defending your family, right? That's it. To be capable of defending your family, defending your community, defending even something as precious as we like to talk of here in America as freedom, right? Freedom has been something that people have fought for for ages, and it never comes cheap. It always comes with the same price. Freedom is not the not the thing that's won by votes, right? It it is it has a uh, a price paid in blood every time. Absolutely does, and the thing too is it it's like you said, it's that same price every time. Uh, it does, and when we live in times of prosperity, we often forget about the people who gave that blood to allow us the luxury, and even the the luxury of these different philosophical notions, where we can believe things that are clearly from a logical standpoint, don't make any sense and split hairs and battle semantics about what pronoun you'd like to be called or what idea you want to identify as or whatever it is. In the end, if we were at a time of war or if we were actually in the shit, we wouldn't even have those, those are preposterous conversations. Wouldn't even think about it. Right. But we live in a time. And it wouldn't even matter. Exactly. It's like, why are we wasting this time? This is so superfluous. It is extremely superfluous and a waste of time, right? You're exactly right. I mean, no time ever in a foxhole, you look to the left and right and go, I wonder what color or what pronoun this person is over there. You just want to know that they can do their job, right? Mm-hmm. And that that they are going to be to do be able to do the same job that you can in being able to defend what needs to be defended, but secondarily protect each other, right? I mean, it's one of the greatest things that comes out of military service is the brotherhood that you get with the people yes. that you serve with. Right. It's one of the greatest losses that you have on exiting is the loss of that brother. It's extremely important. I do think that uh, training is still very important. Preparation is still very important, but it, it, it can't be a preparation like we were talking about without wisdom. So we need to smartly prepare for protecting the things that we need to protect, but, but at the greater extent that that is society. You know, the Stoics actually borrowed a term from this from the cynics, which was called cosmopolitanism. And this kind of goes back to another point that you were making before, whereas they believed in sort of a a global community of mankind. Right. It, so uh, it, it didn't matter where you were in the world. You are a part of that global community. But there is also the understanding that not everybody believes that they're in that same community with you being able to protect the philosophies and ideas of those that do believe in that global community is very important. Yeah, it's key. And in my TEDx, I say, you know, when we start looking at the similarities of human beings instead of the differences, we see that we all want those ideas of a freedom of love and respect, as opposed to trying to find reasons to separate us. And that's why I want to demonize this person. or I disagree with this. And then that turns that snowballs into something that is very much not what it was supposed to be in the beginning. 
Well, I think one of the greatest privileges somebody can have is to actually travel around the globe and actually talk to just regular people, right? Get out of the politics of it, get down on the ground, interface with people within the communities. At the, at the base level, everyone has the same interests. Everybody is looking for flourishing. Everybody wants their kids to do greater and, and to have opportunities that they didn't have. And, and you can sit down with people in just about any community from any background one-on-one. And as long as there isn't a language barrier, find out that you are almost exactly the same. It's unfortunate that things move the way they do and geopolitics moves the way it does. Ideologies move the way that they do because ideologies and those sorts of things separate the individuals from each other. They separate that commonality. They, they create conflicts that are basically people serving the the needs of the the ideology and so one of the 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 biggest causes whether it be religious whether it be political all of those things those ideas they have created they're a great tool for binding people together but they're also a great tool for for destroying yeah if they're trying to fit a narrative they will absolutely try to accentuate that and to your point about i've traveled the world as well and even in south africa or in parts of africa where i didn't speak the language you would smile at somebody genuinely mm-hmm. and they would smile right back at you. Yep. Or yep. if you came up and like gave them some food or some water, yep. they're going to have this genuine gratitude. You know, so, so people that you don't even know would just reach out and hug you. Right. And so again, human beings, 90% of us are pretty much in that same place. And we, most people are good and most people want to do that. However, we have to still be aware of the other 10% so that we don't get caught with it. And, and speaking of that, you had an experience on 9-11. You were at, in a very poignant place. Could you kind of expand on what that was and, and what was going on at that time? Sure. So I happened to be working in the Pentagon during uh, the events where the plane crashed uh, into the building. I was fortunate to be on the opposite side of the Pentagon working wow. in the basement. I actually had headed to a small cafe down there to get a, a little coffee and we were aware of what was already going on uh, in New York. We had seen the first and second buildings get hit. And um, it was kind of funny. Moms, you talked about Mama Bear. Mom was able to call while I was in the Pentagon, even though phones were starting to get, uh, phone lines were starting to get pretty jammed. She asked what was going on and if we were okay. And it was like, yeah, we're, we're good. You make comedic jokes about things at the time, right? So I told her, yep, we're probably a target. But, uh, oh, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, gallows so, humor. At, exactly. And, and so I had gone down and lo and behold, a, a, a plane ends up hitting the P- Pentagon again. Very fortunate that I was on the other side, but of course, lost several workmates that that were with us because we did have some other offices on the other side of the building as well. I, I basically made it back to the office to where where I was at. I was running network defense operations down there. Basically, everybody left but but me and a couple of others. We waited for the commander to come tell us that, that we had to leave. So I had another workmate that needed to ride home, so I took him home as well. But um, so we, I didn't get out of the Pentagon traversing. I had to traverse the whole building because I parked on the other side. I, I don't know if you've been in the building. There's south parking and there's north parking. I, I had to walk all the way to the south parking side. Wow. Yeah, there was injured people coming in and out and... And we helped who we could on the way out. And um, interesting, those are sometimes the greatest battles that you have, right? Like your your instinct is 
how do I run in there and go over there? Right. Right. For me, my, my, my wife was past due by two days. Oh, and it's, kind of, it's, it's, there's a really an interesting story to that, right? Because I had gotten out of the Marine Corps several years before I, I'd gotten out in 97. Typical guys that think like we do. I was, I was kind of frustrated that I didn't go to get to go do things like jump school and that sort of thing. Right. So I was going to re-sign up as a reservist and I was, Actually, in order to get jump school, I was going to go into uh, psyops in the army. Right? Oh, wow! Well, it's interesting, but because right before they were going to read me on that day, they had run out of time because I was going to be a reservist, and they said, "Hey, we're just going to have you guys come back. You come back on Wednesday, and we'll swear you in, and and that sort of thing." And I found out the next day that my wife was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Well, wait a second. I'm not going to disobey the the laws of chance," and so. I, I didn't go in at that time. So it's it's very interesting. If I was still in at that time, I probably would have been in for a long time because obviously would have been active duty at the time and over there. It's still, even with that going on, the impulse was to sign up. But my son was born on the 13th of September. And so I, I still felt I was like, man, my I need to have my dedication to my family, even though the impulse is to to re-sign up and 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 to go back in there. But it was it was an interesting day. I, I guess that's one way to put it. I, I think that that's what most people say in situations like that. It was, it was an interesting day, tough to see, but and you're always so many people that were hurt at the time and that sort of thing. It was, it was, it was a fairly tragic incident. But I, I was very fortunate. Everything goes out to those people that actually lost something. So you're in the Pentagon, and the first mm-hmm. plane is hit, and you've seen before that in New York there were two planes that came. Right. How was there? A fit, how afraid were you that there would be a second attack on the Pentagon? That it was going to hit the other side of the building, or that there was going to be a third, or there was going to be some sort of bomb that was detonated in some some way? Well, we. I mean, we honestly felt like you, you didn't know, right? We right. intelligence gets confused at the time. You yeah, know, rumor mill becomes yep. the intelligence, right? So supposedly planes were flying all over the place, hitting all sorts of targets in the area. We didn't know and we expected that more was to happen. I'll say that there was some healthy fear there, but it wasn't, uh, I wasn't panicked about the situation. Um, Sort of had a natural philosophy of when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I was more focused on helping get the friend of mine that I, well, it was a work associate out and and get him home because I had to take a different route to get him home. And that sort of thing, you know, we'd accept whatever happened as it as it was happening. But there was there was nothing to do about the situation. I mean, you, you, there was going to be no getting out of the way if it was going to come for you. So, like I said, I can't say that there was no fear there. There obviously was was some fear there, but it just was what it was. It, it wasn't anything that was um, limiting. I mean, there's you walk through the building. I mean, the smell of jet fuel was all throughout the building. I The inside of the Pentagon, I haven't been in there in some time. There was a glass atrium through the middle of it. So I could see all the way through and see what was going on. As I exited the building, I could see the hole in the side of the building. It had been fairly well blocked off by the time that I'd gotten out of there. Yeah, it was, uh, again, very hard. Wanted to join back up again, but um, <laughs> having a baby born two days later kind of kind of put me in a different different path. Well, I think you made the right decision. As you and I both know, history tells us that there was such an, a resurgence of nationalism and people wanting to join up that uh, it's not as if they didn't have enough uh, people that wanted to do that. And again, you're the only father to your to your boy. There's only one of you. So 
you know, that's, well, sure. I, it's, it's difficult. And there's, that's not part of this that it's hard to kind of give up that warrior. Yeah. Everybody gives something. I mean, lots of fathers went too, and lots of sons went. So it was my choice at the time. I decided that and I always, from a young age, valued that being a, the role of a father was going to be very important. At that time, I thought that, that it, it, I would make probably more an impression on, on the world by being there as a father for my son than spending 15 years overseas in the different sandbox. And I ended up working as a contractor and over in most of those places. <laughs> anyway, I just got to come home on occasion a lot, a lot quicker than everybody else did. So I ended up working all over Latin America, all over Central Asia. It's not like those places ended up being hidden from me. Just got to make a little bit more money and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say you, you, you did a, you did a lot better monetarily for sure. And then you're still able to take care of the family. So that's the key. Yes, sir. Um, so was there a specific kind of stoic tool that you used when dealing with that? You'd already were able to do a lot of them, but was there something that kind of comes to mind that you could kind of give our listeners? Well, I wasn't a, I didn't really understand or know of stoic philosophy at that time. It wasn't until years later that I really started investigating and learned of stoic philosophy. And, and like many people in the military, why kind of that first question you ask, why is stoicism kind of seen as the default philosophy of the military? It spoke well to me. And for many people, other philosophies will speak well to them. But for me, stoicism really spoke well to me. Before that, I used to love the book Hagagure by uh, the, the Japanese samurai book, one of my favorite yes. books of all time. The first line in that, and I will say that I had read that quite a few times before then, is, and I actually believe it's the second verse in that book that basically says the way of the samurai is found in death. The way that applies in with stoicism is the extreme acceptance of death. And it's not just, oh yeah, I know I'm going to die. It is, no, I could die at any moment. I could die today. How am I living right now? Because as Seneca put it, people will spend all kinds of time fretting over how much money they lost here, uh, how much savings they didn't have here, and they will waste their own time, the most valuable commodity that anyone has. I will say that over the years, I guess the, 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 the stoic principle that I would put into place the most is is just to accept events the way they were. Another stoic principle is, let's say, love of fate. And so I can't be at war with the way things happened in my life. I'll never find that flourishing if I'm at war with the way things have happened in my life. What I can do is come to peace with the fact that, okay, those things happened. There are many people in the world that have dealt with much, much worse than anything that I've ever had to deal with. And so I have no reason at all to, to really complain or, or to think about how harsh I've had it. And so that's kind of the way I put it. I never bore any ill will to any certain peoples or anything like that. It was, it was just one of those, one of those events. And, um, we all experience near death situations many times in our lives. Most of the time we're even, we're unaware of. We're oblivious, so. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have the self-knowledge and you're absolutely correct. That memento mori mentality or that a more fati idea of pondering death, pondering the fate and understanding that you must love it because there is no other choice. You can't change it. And I love the overlap in, in Zen and Stoicism and in Bushido and the Japanese samurai, especially in the 1500s when a lot of the wars were sort of over. And then you have this right. warrior class and you have to say, listen, guys, we can't just keep invading countries 
and we can't just keep building up arms and men and and war chests and then depleting them entirely and having no right. culture for which to do this. So it became the the samurai turned into much more of that multifaceted the person that could use the sword and and practice Aedo, the actual sword drawing art, That's right. to kill you in one stroke, yet still read a poem, still do a flower arrangement, still do a tea ceremony, still discuss philosophical notions. And right. that idea that the samurai would actually have that burial ceremony before they would leave, because that would give them ultimate clarity in the heat of battle. There was no attachment. There was no holding back, wondering, oh, you know, I'm not going to see my wife or my kids again. Well, no, you've already made peace with yep. that. And now there's ultimate detachment right. and you have the ability to really operate in the fray to the best of your ability, not only to survive, but to protect them, to, right. to get to the objective. And that's what we do as warriors. Yep. It's Epictetus that says, and this is a very hard piece of stoicism that a lot of people have some philosophical problems, is to say goodbye to your, your children to your spouse when you go at, to bed at night, right? Because they're not yours. You just have them for a short period of time and any one of them, including yourself, could be returned at any moment. It's it's the same true with our brothers in arms. It is but it's a it's a coming to terms with with what is is actually tangible for us. I, I think it's a brilliant philosophy. I like the ties in with Bushido and I think that your your talk about the historical relevance for when those things actually came about is is sort of similar like to what we're seeing right exactly. now. It's sort of post the big warrior time. And now it is how do we get in tune with the philosophy of how we live with ourselves and what that philosophy means to us? What does it mean to be a warrior? The same was for chivalry, right? Chivalry really came about years after the real times of the fighting nights and those sorts of things. And a lot of it is coming to terms with those things that are the unfortunate parts of society that that we need to philosophically rationalize and, and understand that we're still at our core good humans. That's it. And I want to be respectful of your time, but mm-hmm. I've never met a person who has been successful or been resilient that hasn't gone through some tremendous adversity. Gabron says that from the greatest of suffering have emerged the strongest of souls. Can you tell us, I mean, you, you shared something about the 9-11 and the Pentagon, but can you tell us about a situation that you went to, an adversity that you went through that at the time seemed like it was insurmountable, but then afterwards you were able to see in hindsight the gift or the opportunity that, that it presented to you that you would have not been able to find any other way? We talked about the Pentagon, but I would go back before that. I, I honestly, and, and this is going to be sort of odd to say, I think one of the greatest gifts philosophically to me was when I was very, I was probably about 14, 15, and, and my parents went through a divorce. And this mm-hmm. is a very common thing that happens to kids around that age. But the thing is, is that at that age, you believe everything is about the philosophies of, of, of marriage and family, religion playing a lot into there as well. And then when I was about 15, my parents decided to split and go their own ways. To me, that kind of it kind of tore everything up philosophically inside that I had believed, and so I did a lot of 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 really internalizing of what went on, and finally came to the point that I I I said, you know what, they're their own people. They're going to do the things that they're going to do, and I can't control that. And and we were also I, I would encompass that with saying that that we were 
pretty poor at the time. And being able to go, you know what, I am going to be responsible for who I am. No matter what happens in the future, I am going to, I'm going to be completely responsible for the type of person I am. And I think that moving forward, it, it's kind of interesting. It seems like that is something that is very trivial. Ironically, I was listening to a podcast not too long ago, and they were talking about some of the selection processes that they used for special operators and that sort of thing were people that had gone through very similar type events, divorce when they were young. Because at that age, it creates such a, a psychological battle that you have to have internally that you have to come to terms with many things about who you are in life. For me, that was that that was what I think probably had the greatest impact on me earlier. I mean, there are plenty of hurdles in the way, right? I mean, failures in business. I mean, you fail 10 times before you start seeing any modicums of success here and there for every business deal that I can get done. I guarantee you I have failed in closing 15 before that. You learn how to put those into the context that they need to be put in try to learn from those and move on from them on, on to, to what you're doing now and into the next mission. So even without knowing about stoicism at that young age, having that sort of traumatic event that created that post-traumatic adaptation that made you stronger in the process. That's right. Well, I, I, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I certainly think it was, I mean, for me, it was very traumatic at the time. Right. And so there was, uh, I would say a lot of post-traumatic growth from that, that actually influenced the, my personal philosophy from that point on. And then later on, finding a philosophy like Stoicism that's, that's an ancient philosophy that, that has been absorbed in, in so much of what we do in the modern world, we don't even think about it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Christianity pulled in a lot of Stoic philosophy into early Christianity. Paul was a Stoic, right? Well, they, they call him a proto-Stoic. So nobody knows that he was actually Stoic. It's fairly obvious from his from the background. Yeah, he was influenced for sure. That, that he was educated, yeah. right? And uh, a lot of his philosophies were, were very stoic in the way they, they were taught. They just, they just had Jewish and Christian theology along with it. Yeah, sometimes it's a, I think I said this on our panel, but in my opinion, philosophy is just the name of truth founded at that time in that region. So whether it be Zen, right. Stoicism, Buddhism, Judaism, Catholicism, whatever, Christianity, there are those, those elements. And I also try to have that idea of being a, a bit of a philosophical atheist where I love Stoicism, especially as a foundation, but I want to be able to find truth irrespective of source as well and pull that in there. And if it lines up with that Stoic sort of filter and makes sense, then that adds an additional dimension for me to be able to better not only understand it and, and, and internalize it, but then maybe some people I've, I've noticed have, I don't want to say a negative connotation about stoicism, but they, they're like, Oh yeah, stoicism. Randy talks about that now, but yep. it's because they don't really understand it or they see a quote or they, they see a book or what have you. But uh, again, it's, it's something that you can truly live and embody if you're willing to put the time into it. And that's why I think it is so well worth the investment in, in our edification in this philosophy. Nothing partially known makes any of us an expert on it. So it's, I think it's always good to investigate those things. Everybody, like you said, everybody is going to, to find certain philosophies that, that, that are more in line with their thought process. I, I think that you're right. I think that there are a lot of universal philosophical truths that you will see seem to be the same across a lot of, of spectrums. 
uh, whether it's Eastern philosophy, whether it's Western philosophy, it we come to our own philosophical truths. Many times we all cherry pick a bit. I think that that's very understandable. Absolutely. So we were saying that the best place for our, our listeners to learn more about what you're doing in this, this Stoic philosophy of the story of the Stoic warrior is on the Facebook page, Stoic warrior. Yeah, there's a Facebook page called Stoic Warrior. Again, I don't have a real big social media presence, but it is a place for those in the military that want to talk about and inquire about Stoicism. So please feel free to reach out, join the page. There may be other things coming in the near future. We'll see how, how those things play out. Everyone is welcome. The discussion is, is open and wish everybody well on their, their philosophical journey. Absolutely. Stephen Roberts, thank you so much. It's been an honor to speak with you and to learn from you and to um, pontificate with you about the Stoic philosophy. And I know that we're going to be having many more conversations, whether it be recorded on Zoom or in person in Athens or whatever the case may be. So thank you so much again. Sounds good, Marcus. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.